Scripture reading this morning is taken from 1 Kings chapter 16, verses 30 through 33. It's 1 Kings chapter 16, verses 30 through 33. And Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him. And as if it, and as if it had been a light thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, he took for his wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbel, king of the Sidonians, and went and served Baal and worshipped him. He erected an altar for Baal in the house of Baal, which he built in Samaria, and Ahab made an Asherah. Ahab did more to provoke the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger than all the kings of Israel who were before him. This morning, I want to do something a little out of the ordinary a little different than usual. I'm going to ask you a simple question that I hope will be with you throughout the entire sermon. It's a question that only you can answer. Each person is going to have a different answer to this question. And the question this morning is, if you were to name one person in your life, if you were to name one person in your life that when you thought about them and their chances of repentance, their chances of actually obeying Jesus and actually leaving the life that they've been living, and actually obeying Jesus, and you thought about their chances of actually making that decision, who would it be? When you think about all the people that you know, all the people that you're related to, all the people that you run across on a daily basis, who of those individuals do you think to yourself, man, they're just too far gone. There's really just no chance that this person could actually ever really be a follower of Jesus. Throughout the entire sermon... I want you to think about that person. Is it a family member? Someone who years ago gave up on the church, gave up on their faith, gave up on following Jesus, and when you look at them today, you can't even hardly recognize what they have become. Maybe they had a very bad hardship with their marriage. Maybe they went through a lot of trauma with something going on in their life and they've left the Lord, they've left the church, and they haven't been back in years. Is it a family member? Maybe it's a coworker. Maybe it's somebody that you work beside every single day of, of the week and as you work beside them, you hear them use profanity and, and horrible language and, and as they work, they tell about all the sinful things they did all weekend long. And as you sit there and you think day after day, man, that guy, there's just no chance he could ever really obey Jesus. Maybe it's a friend. Is it a friend? Is it a friend at school or maybe a friend in life that you've been friends with them for your whole life and at one point in your relationship and your friendship with them, you thought, man, they're pretty close. They're pretty close to obeying Jesus. They're pretty close to actually obeying what God has to tell them. 
But at some point down the line, something happened to them. They got older. They, they, so a lot of life situations were thrown at them, and, and they've left the even semblance of the truth and left the semblance of following God. Is it a friend? Who in your life this morning makes you think to yourself, well, there's no way they'll ever come back? Or maybe makes you think to yourself, there's no way they will leave the life that they are living and follow God. Who in your life this morning is just too far gone? Are you that person this morning? Do you feel that way about yourself? Do you feel like you are just too far gone? You've gone through too much for God to ever take you back? For this church family to ever accept you back again? Who is it this morning? Turn your Bibles to 1 Kings. 1 Kings chapter 16. First Kings chapter 16, beginning in verse 30. It says, Now Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him. And it came to pass, as though it had been a trivial thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, that he took as wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbal, king of the Sidonians. And he went and served Baal and worshipped him. And then he set up an altar for Baal in the temple of Baal, which he had built in Samaria. And Ahab made a wooden image. Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than all the kings who were before him. Verse 30 tells us that Ahab did more evil in the sight of God than any king that had gone before him. That's Ahab. It also tells us in verse 33, it reaffirms that statement. It tells us again that Ahab provoked the Lord God to anger more than all the kings that went before him. You know something interesting about this? You know, this is the first time we hear about Ahab ever in, in the story of the Bible. We read about Ahab. We know who Ahab is. And do you realize the very first thing that's ever said about Ahab is that he's the worst? Before we ever get a chance to make our own minds up, it tells us, no, this guy's the worst. This is the worst. Before it tells us anything he did in his 22-year reign, it tells us this guy is the worst. The worst of the worst. He did more to provoke the Lord God to anger than any king who went before him. Before it says one thing about what Ahab did, it tells us that he is the worst. And when we, say we're, when, we, when we say the worst, we're not talking about a, a, a list of some people who did some pretty minor things. We're not talking about a list of people who really weren't that bad, but they just did some you know, pretty bad things. We're talking about some pretty evil people. Some of the most evil men who ever walked the earth we're talking about. We're talking about people like Nadab, people like Bashah, people like Elah, people like Zimri, people like Omri, Ahab's father. And if you want to read what they did, look at chapters 15 and 16. Look at what they did and, and what they did to provoke the Lord. 
And what we read here is that Ahab, listen, is worse than all of them. All of them, all of them that went before him, Ahab is worse. The worst of the worst. Ahab surpassed all of them in the worst way possible. Not in a good way, but in the worst way he possibly could. This passage also tells us that he served Baal. Not only did he serve Baal, he worshipped Baal. Not only did he worship Baal, he erected effigies of Baal. He erected idols, wooden images for Baal. Not only did he worship Baal and, and, and make idols for, for Baal, he married the daughter of the king of Sidon, the Sidonians. The very people who were the ancestors... Jezebel is an ancestor of the Sidonians, and the Sidonians were the very people in the book of Judges were one of the biggest groups of individuals responsible for persecuting the children of Israel. The Judges and all the people that oppressed the children of Israel, the Sidonians are some of those people. And here the king of Israel marries the princess of Sidon, Jezebel. And we know who Jezebel is, you know who Jezebel is, and I know who Jezebel is. But here, Ahab chooses to marry her. Above all the rest, above all the women he could have married, he chooses her. Fast forward to chapter 18 and verse 4, and we'll see why that was such a horrible mistake. Chapter 18 and verse 4. It says, For so it was, while Jezebel massacred the prophets of the Lord, that Obadiah had taken 100 prophets and hidden them, Fifty to a cave, and it fed them with bread and water. So here we find that Jezebel, the king's wife, the king of Israel, is killing, killing the prophets of the Lord. My translation says massacring. Some say uh, causing havoc. Some say some other translations. I believe one of them says, uh, let's see here, it says... Uh, raising some problems. I mean, that's a pretty loose translation, right? But mine says, massacring the prophets of the Lord. Do you know what that means? Look at verse 13. Verse 13 makes no ifs, ands, and buts about it. Verse 13 tells us that when Jezebel killed the prophets of the Lord, this is not a question. Jezebel is killing the prophets of the Lord. The queen of Israel is killing the prophets of the Lord. So much so that it was dozens, hundreds of prophets. So much so that Obadiah had to hide the other prophets. He hid them in caves by 50 apiece. Because Jezebel, the very queen, was trying to kill them. Because Jezebel was a believer in Baal. So here we have the queen of Israel trying to kill the prophets of God. The queen that Ahab chose. Elijah is one of the prophets at this time. You know Elijah? Elijah is one of the prophets at this time that is Jezebel's trying to kill. And in fact, chapter 18, we all know the story of 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 Elijah on Mount Carmel. We know how Elijah defeated 450 prophets of Baal. 
We all know how Elijah was embarrassing the prophets of Baal, was, was taunting the prophets of Baal, and in fact he was trying to upset them because of how ridiculous he thought they were. In fact, when they were calling out to Baal for Baal to rain fire from heaven, he said, well, maybe, maybe Baal went on a journey. Maybe you need to be a little bit louder, right? Maybe Baal is asleep. Maybe you need to wake him up. Maybe you need... He's making fun of them, isn't he? And sure enough, we know that Baal never does rain fire from heaven, but the moment that Elijah prays that God would, that fire descends from the heavens and consumes and licks up the water that he had poured over the altar, right? And that's where VBS stops, right? And we don't talk about what happens next. But Elijah goes and kills every single one of the prophets of Baal. Every single one of them. He even says, do not let a single one of them get away. Verse 40, it says, Seize the prophets of Baal, do not let one of them escape. So they seized them, and Elijah brought them down to the brook of Kishon and executed them there. Here's a big problem. Look. At chapter 18 and verse 19. 18, 19. It says, Therefore, send and gather all Israel to me on Mount Carmel, the 450 prophets of Baal, and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. You know the problem of what Elijah has just done in 18, verse 40? He has killed 450 of Jezebel's closest friends. Jezebel, the lady who is trying to kill all the prophets of the Lord, trying to kill as many as she possibly could, here Elijah kills 450 of hers. 450 of the men who ate at her table. Is this going to go over well? No. It doesn't go well over at all. Look at chapter 19, verses 1 through 3. After Elijah had killed these prophets, it says, Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, also how he had executed all the prophets with the sword. And then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And when he saw that, he arose and ran for his life, and went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. So here we have Elijah. He is running for his life. He is a prophet of God, the prophet of the Lord. In fact, probably the most prominent prophet at the time. And here we have the king of Israel ratting him out to Jezebel in verse 1. The king of Israel, the, the, the person in charge, is running to go tattle to tell his wife Jezebel what had been done. And Jezebel says, I'm going to make you suffer the same death that you made the people who eat at my table suffer. And so we know what happens after that. Elijah has to hide for his life for, for months, and then God comes to him and tells him that he's not alone and, and all the things that happened there. But let's move on in the story. If you fast forward to chapter 21, we see the last straw. 
We see the last straw that God has with Ahab. And it's when Ahab really looked at this guy's vineyard. He saw this guy's vineyard. His name was Naboth. And he saw his vineyard and he was like, that's a nice vineyard. You ever said that? I've never said that. I never looked at a vineyard and said that was a nice vineyard. But apparently it was something they did back then. They thought vineyards were nice. And so Ahab said, I wanted that vineyard. I want that vineyard. I might say that about one of your cars, right? And so if I let that want and the desire to have your car consume me, allow me to covet, I've done wrong. But even more so than that, if I kill you over it, I've done even more wrong, haven't I? Well, this is exactly what Ahab does. Ahab wants Naboth's vineyard so bad that when he can't have it, he goes and tells his wife, doesn't he? He goes and tells his wife, and let's read what happens here in this passage. Read verses 5 through 8 with me. Jezebel, his wife, came to him and said to him, Why is your spirit so sullen that you eat no food? And he said to her, Because I spoke to Naboth the Jezreelite and said to him, Give me your vineyard for money, or else, if it pleases you, I will give you another vineyard for it. And he answered, I will not give you my vineyard. And then Jezebel, his wife, said to him, You now exercise authority over Israel. Arise, eat food, and let your heart be cheerful. I will give you the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite. And she wrote letters in Ahab's name, sealed them with the seal, and sent the letters to the elders and the nobles who were dwelling in the city of Naboth, with Naboth. So here we have Ahab. He asked for it, right? He asked for it. Just because I ask you for your car, you're not going to give it to me. He asks for the, the vineyard. He says, give me your vineyard and I'll, I'll, I'll pay you for it. And maybe you don't want payment. Maybe you want another vineyard. I'll give you any other vineyard you want. Naboth says, no, I want my vineyard. And so Ahab goes to his wife and says, Je- Jezebel, I need you to get this vineyard for me. And Jezebel says, I got this, honey. I'm going to write some letters on your behalf in your name to the elders, to all the people. And sure enough, I'm going to get you that vineyard for you. It'll be from me to you. Don't worry about it. Why don't you just go to bed and and not worry about it anymore? Well, what happens? That's exactly what happens. That's exactly what happens. Jezebel gives him the vineyard. Look at verses 14 through 16. It says, Then they sent to Jezebel, saying, Naboth has been stoned and is dead. And it came to pass when Jezebel heard that Naboth had been stoned and was dead, that Jezebel said to Ahab, Arise, take possession of the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite, which he refused to give for you for money. For Naboth is not alive, but is dead. So it was when Ahab heard that Naboth was dead, that Ahab got up and went down to take possession of the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite. Let's pause for a moment. Let's, let's, Let's... Let's understand what's going on in this story. Okay, so in this story, we have the king of Israel, Ahab. Ahab has been guilty of building idols, of worshiping idols, of worshiping and uplifting Baal over God. His wife has killed dozens, if not hundreds, of prophets of God. And now his wife and he have conspired to the death of an innocent man, Simply to where they can take something that's not theirs. Do you understand why God said this is the worst of the worst? 
Do you understand why at the beginning of Ahab's story it says, there was no one who provoked the Lord to anger more than this guy that we're about to talk about? It makes a lot of sense. Nowhere else could you find such a horrible story of a king of Israel but in the lives of Ahab and Jezebel. It makes sense that Ahab is said to be the worst king in all of Israel's history, does it not? Well, like I said, this is the last straw for God. God cannot take any more. He is sick and fed up with Ahab and Jezebel. And so let's read what happens in 19 following. It says, You shall speak to him, saying, Thus says the Lord, Have you murdered and also taken possession? And you shall speak to him, saying, Thus says the Lord, In the place where the dogs licked the blood of Naboth, the dogs shall lick your blood, even yours. So Ahab, Ahab said to Elijah, Have you found me, O my enemy? And he answers, I have found you, because you have sold yourself to do evil in the sight of the Lord. Behold, this is God talking through Elijah, Straight to Ahab. Behold, I will bring calamity on you. I will cut away, I will take away your posterity. I will cut off Ahab from every male in Israel, both bond and free. I will make your house like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, and like the house of Bashah, the son of Ahijah, because of the provocation with which you have provoked me to anger and made Israel sin. And concerning Jezebel, the Lord also spoke, saying, The dog shall eat Jezebel by the wall of Jezreel. The dog shall eat whoever belongs to Ahab and dies in the city. And the birds of the air shall eat whoever dies in the field. But there was no one like Ahab who sold himself to do wickedness in the sight of the Lord. Because Jezebel... His wife stirred him up. And he behaved very abominably in following idols according to all that the Amorites had done whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. Let's stop right there. Let's stop right there. Like we said, the Lord is fed up with Ahab. In verse 19, God tells him that the dogs would lick up his blood from the very spot, the very place where they licked Naboth up. In verse 21, God tells him that calamity would fall on him, that his posterity would be taken away, that every person would be taken away from him. Verse 22 tells us that this is going to take place because of the anger with which he provoked God. Verse 23 and 24 also tells us that the dogs would lick and eat up Jezebel in the very remains, same place where Naboth was killed. Verse 25, it tells us that Ahab sold himself to do wickedness and allowed his wife to incite or to stir him up. In verse 26, it tells us that Ahab behaved very Abominably, not just abominably, very abominably before the Lord. And let's stop right there. This condemnation is pretty fair, isn't it? 
Is God right to say this to Ahab? Is God just to make this decision? To take away everything Ahab has, to take away all the things that he possesses, take away uh, his wife, take away his life, say that the dogs are going to eat you up? Is God right and just in saying that? Absolutely he is. Ahab had left God, had abandoned God, had worshipped Baal, had built idols to Baal, had married a foreigner that was of the Sidonians who oppressed the people of Israel hundreds of years before. Ahab had killed a man just because he liked his vineyard. Ahab did more to provoke the anger of the Lord than any king who went before him. Does Ahab deserve this condemnation? Yes. Does Jezebel deserve this condemnation? Yes. Every expert that could ever expert this thing would tell you that Ahab deserves this condemnation. God is completely just in this condemnation. Vengeance is His, He says. He can take away power from whoever He pleases. He is God. He is just. He is the judge. Who was that person at the beginning of the lesson? That person you've been thinking about that when you think about them, you think there's just no way. They're too far gone. Are you thinking of them? You know, if you were to ask Elijah, if I were to ask Elijah, hey Elijah, if you were to name one person that was just, a little, that was just way too far gone, to ever follow God, who would it be? There is no doubt in my mind he would answer one or two things. Jezebel or Ahab. How have you answered that question? Who in your life is just too far gone for God to redeem? Just too far gone to ever make the right decision to follow God? Who is it? You remember thinking at the beginning of the lesson, yeah, you know what, when I think about this person, there's just no chance. There's just no chance when I think about this person that they would ever repent and come to God. There is no way blank would ever obey Jesus. You thought to yourself when we talked about that earlier, they're divorced. They've remarried someone they shouldn't have married, and, and there's just no way they'll ever come out of that. They're an alcoholic. There's no way they'll ever have the right mind to ever, ever make the good decision to stop what they're doing and come back. They're an atheist. There's no way that they would ever believe in God in the first place to be saved, to be redeemed, to be forgiven. 
They've told me to my face that they hate God. There's no way that they could ever come back. That they would ever believe. Verse 27. Chapter 21. So it was when Ahab heard those words that he tore his clothes. And he put sackcloth on his body and he fasted and he lay in sackcloth and he went about mourning. Ahab, the worst king in the history of Israel, the man who rose up idols, who worshipped Baal, who married Jezebel, who killed hundreds of prophets, who killed Naboth for his vineyard, the man who God condemned as saying, the dogs are going to eat you up. Everything is going to be stripped away from you. That man right there said, I am sorry. The man whom Elijah would probably say there's no chance that guy repents. He tore his clothes. He put sackcloth on his body. He fasted. And while he fasted, he, lied, he, he laid, he lied in the sackcloth. And it says that he mourned. After the murder of Naboth, there was just no chance for this guy to ever make that decision, was there? God condemns him. He gives him the worst condemnation I can find. The dogs licking up his body. The dogs licking up his wife. Everything would be stripped from him. And when Ahab hears this, he's pricked to the heart. And he repents. Ahab, the most evil king in the history of evil, in the history of evil kings, right? He repents. He mourns. He produces godly sorrow. And how does God respond? Does God say, Well, it's a little too late for you, Ahab? I just made this big condemnation. I can't go back on my word. I'm not going to forgive you. I'm not going to let it go. The things that you have done is just too far gone for me to redeem you. Is that what he says? Verse 29. See how Ahab has humbled himself before me. Because he has humbled himself before me, I will not bring calamity in his days. In the days of his son, I will bring the calamity to his house. God doesn't think. God doesn't wait. God doesn't doubt. God doesn't make Ahab prove his penitence. Because God didn't have to. God knew that this was real. God knew Ahab's heart. He knew that it was penitent. He knew that he was mourning. He knew that he was serious. 
without a pause, without hesitation, within the blink of an eye, God forgave. Within the blink of an eye, within the snap of a finger, God forgave Ahab, the most evil king in the history of Israel. You know, when we talk about God's forgiveness and you grow up in the church and you hear lessons about God's forgiveness. Many times we talk about how, de- how, how God forgave David after he slept with Bathsheba, after he killed Uriah the Hittite. We talk about how God forgave Saul who killed Christians and turned him into Paul, right? We talk about these stories. When was the last time we talked about Ahab? And how God forgave Ahab the most and scripturally acclaimed, right? Scripturally acclaimed, worst king in the history of Israel. When was the last time we talked about that? You know, those stories about David and Paul, those are amazing stories, and they deserve the spotlight that they get. But when was the last time we talked about Ahab? Now, as you continue reading chapter 22, I know that Ahab doesn't stay in this for a penitent attitude. I know that he still gets licked up by the dogs at the end of his life. I know that he probably, you know, probably left that forgiveness that he was given. I'm not here to preach Ahab into heaven this morning. But I hope you're not here to preach him into hell. You know what we know about Ahab? At the end of his life, it says in 2240, it says that he rested with his fathers. You know what else it says that about? It says that about David in 1 Kings 2.10. It says that about Solomon in 1 Kings 11.43. It says that about Rehoboam in 1 Kings 14.31. Jeroboam 14.20. Abijam 15.8. Asa 15.24. Bashah 16.6. And his father Omri, it says that about him in 1 Kings 16.28. All I know is that at the end of his life, he rested with his fathers just like some of the good, good kings did and just like some of the bad kings did. God will judge all of those men. God will judge all of us. All I'm trying to do this morning is ask you, who in your life is too far gone for God? Who in your life is too far gone for God? Who in this room this morning is too far gone for God? No one. No one is too far gone for God. Listen to what God says about forgiveness. 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9, it says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Psalm 103, 11 through 14, For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is His mercy toward those who fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far as has, has He removed our transgressions from us. As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear Him. For He knows their frame, He remembers that they are dust. 
Isaiah chapter 43 and verse 25, I, even I, am He who blots out your transgressions for my own sake. And I will remember, I will not remember your sins. Jeremiah 31, 34, I will forgive your iniquity and I will remember your sin no more. Isaiah 55, 7, Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord, and he will have mercy on him. And to our God, he will abundantly pardon. We truly serve a great God, amen? We serve a God who is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Faithful and just to forgive us all of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We serve a God who forgives as wide and as deep and as high and as low as our sin is. Understanding that we are not perfect, He understands our frame and knows that we are dust. We serve a God that blots out the sins and chooses not to remember them. We serve a God who is powerful enough not to only forgive, but to forget. We serve a God who calls us home, calls the wicked home, and promises us that He will give us mercy, that He will pardon us. We serve a God who sent His Son to die the death we should have died. That person that you've always thought to yourself, there's just no way. Do you realize that without God, you and that person would have the exact same possibility of heaven? Zero. Without God and without the blessings that you've been given to know about Jesus, to be probably raised in the church, to be converted, to be talked to by somebody, without that happening to you, you would be in the same situation as that person you've been thinking about this entire lesson. Zero percent chance. You'd have the same chance as Jezebel or Ahab if it hadn't have been for God. If it hadn't have been for Jesus, if it hadn't been for His blood. You know why? The Bible tells us none is righteous, no, not one. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. But with God... All things are possible. With God, all things are possible. The same God that forgave the most evil king in the history of Israel, the same God that forgave David, the same God that forgave Saul, that very same God can forgive you. That very same God can forgive that person 
that you gave up on. All we got to do is ask. He is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Well, the beginning of the verse says, if we confess our sins, he will do that. This morning, he gives the same offer to everyone. The same forgiveness to everyone. The same blood to everyone. The same Jesus to everyone. The same gospel to everyone. The same forgiveness to everyone. The same pardon to everyone. Our month of prayer just started today. We're praying for God's compassion today. Well, how amazing it would be if someone here today could feel the compassion of the Lord. They've been thinking to themselves, they thought to themselves at the beginning of the lesson, I am too far gone for God to forgive me. I am too far gone in my sin, in my struggle, in my trial, in my tribulation, in my marriage, in my private life. I am way too far gone for God to forgive me. God offers you pardon. God offers you forgiveness. And not only that, He promises He'll forget it. He gives the same offer to every one of us today. Come unto Me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. What do you need from God today? What do you need from Jesus today? What do you need today? God's ready whenever you are. As together we stand and sing.